0: Chapter 4. So there I was, running wild. But I could only do so much damage because I was so young. How much damage can a young fellow do? Besides, my parents were devout Christians, which sucked for me. They had zero patience for my bad behavior. Let me back up a bit. I should probably tell you about what happened in the second grade. Because something that happened one day had a really profound effect on me. It was the year that the public school system tried to make my sister wear pants in P.E. class. This was an event that would totally change the course of my life. It had to do with a line from the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 22, verse 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so, Our abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, don't get me wrong, Trina made the decision when she was younger to never wear pants and to never cut her hair, which was in accordance with this verse. This is what devout women across our faith believe, but it was her decision and she was going to stand by it. The principal at our school, however, was bound and determined to stand by his beliefs, meaning Trina was going to wear pants at PE or else. So dad went down to the school and he confronted the principal. The two of them got into a nasty exchange over it. Dad tried to explain to the man all the reasons why Trina and the family and the church believed the way she did and how they should not force her to wear pants. He said Trina had been trying hard to follow the Bible and wasn't that worth something? Needless to say, the principal was not persuaded he gave Dad two options. Jamie, he said, here's the deal. Y'all either abide by the rules or you just take Trina right out of school altogether. It's your choice. And Dad did just that. Not only that, he yanked me out too. Both of us. The very next day. At the time, I was in the process of being held back a grade, actually. I remember it well. This group of students, which was my old classmates, were walking across the gym. They were with the other third graders. There I was, walking with the second graders. Well, a girl who had been in my class and had known me since kindergarten waved her hand at me. Over here, Cody, she shouted. You're supposed to be with us. You're with the second graders. She thought it was a mix-up, but it wasn't. I had failed the second grade. Which is something only I knew. But now, when she shouted that, everybody in the school knew. It happened in front of God and everybody. I just can't tell you how embarrassing that was. But truthfully, to be fair, I couldn't even spell meatloaf. It was what it was. When we first started homeschooling, Trina and I did our schoolwork together. We'd sit at a desk side by side, and because she was so intelligent, if ever I got tangled up on a problem, I'd say, Trina, help me out. If I couldn't get my hands on a calculator, I'd give her the book, and she'd do all my math for me. We both knew I wasn't the smartest between the two of us. It was something that seemed obvious to everyone who knew us. If there were assignments I couldn't do, and spelling was something I couldn't do particularly well. She'd just do it for me. Soon enough, I discovered the answers were in the back of the book. From that point on, I passed homeschool with flying colors. For everything else, Trina was my savior. I hate that things worked out the way they did. I so wish the principal would have just been agreeable to Trina's pants-wearing because I think it would have worked out better for everybody, and particularly for me. Being stuck homeschooling, nobody instructed me how to be social. It was not until the day I was old enough to work in the coal mines that I finally got the chance to meet other people outside of the church and to work shoulder to shoulder with them. This is when I truly began to understand what it was like to be social. Honestly, I wouldn't wish a lack of social training on anybody. I wish I could do things all over again. Since Dad and the principal had an argument over Trina's pants, I believe it cost me a whole lot in life. It made me socially awkward. All the difficulties I've encountered in my life have been very easy to explain. Now when I was 14, I started going out for long stretches of time. That year... I stayed out pretty much the entire spring and summer. I found myself a girlfriend, finally. I also started weed eating for her dad's landscaping business. I was always trying to make some money. In those days, I tried to make as much as I could, just working any chance I could get. She and I dated for about three years or so. Eventually, however, I would mess that all up. With these intense desires swirling inside me at such a young age it quickly became apparent to her and to me that only the lustful things in our relationship were all I could think about. Case in point, one day, I hit on her sister. Needless to say, she found out all about it. To top it off, my attempt with her sister was completely unsuccessful too. What I'm saying is, I was never really satisfied with any one person. I doubt it was natural to think that way, think so much about sex and all the various types of physical love but I also felt damaged inside the trauma of what that awful man did to me one night when I was 15 my ex-girlfriend's best friend texted me I should have known right away to stay away from this girl but I didn't at this point in my life i had only been out with one person so I was very inexperienced it turns out this girl was pretty wild and crazy So I left my girlfriend for her and stayed with her friend for almost a year. This girl took me everywhere. She had a car. She was my refuge from an overbearing home and she allowed me to explore her, too, with no limitations. All the intense desires swirling inside me finally had an outlet. And even better, she didn't judge me. I stayed with her when, most of the time, I knew I should probably get on back home. Not long after that, messing around with so many women, I contracted my first sexually transmitted disease. Now, understand, I was extremely young for this sort of diagnosis. I came home from the doctor's office one day, and I brought it up to the girl. But it was pointless. We really just came to fuss and fight most of the time. Still, I was stupid enough to stick around. By the time I was 16, I was completely addicted to dirty movies. Any chance I got, I watched them for hours and hours and hours on end. I'd watch them till I was glassy-eyed. I remember one time Dad found it on the computer. He said, Who's been downloading porn on this computer? I almost had a heart attack. I sat there with my mouth open, with no lie I could think of to say. I was totally busted. But for some reason, and I don't know why, Trina spoke up and took the blame herself. Trina didn't miss a beat. It's mine, she said. I'm so sorry. He looked at her suspiciously. You were watching... this? He was confused because the subject matter didn't seem to jive with what a young girl might seek out it's just what i like i guess she muttered he stared at her but she looked away i couldn't believe it but looking back trina just wouldn't let me get in trouble i never even asked her to do it but from that day forward she took it upon herself to clear the search history on the computer every day to make sure i never got caught again I'm still not sure why she did that for me, but it was a really nice thing to do. I watched people on those videos performing all sorts of wild acts, and it occasionally made me remember what my psychiatrist had said. Sometimes a victim like Cody can turn to sexual deviancy. I was indeed curious sometimes, and I'd watch the sort of filth most people wouldn't even dream of on those videos. Sometimes they'd make me entertain unnatural thoughts for a while but just as soon as those feelings of curiosity passed I'd become physically ill thinking about where I had gone in my mind. It disgusted me that I had thought about all those things. It made me sick to think that I could end up someplace worse than I already was. Now to be sure I hated everybody back in those days and I blamed God for each and every evil that had happened to me. I heard so many people tell me, whenever I would walk through the church doors back in those days, they could feel the hatred just oozing off of me. At home, I'd just lay on the bed or on the couch in my room and I'd never come out. The only time I would ever materialize was to go out someplace or to go get something to eat. I'd hole up as much as I could and watch those dirty movies, maybe play some wrestling video games. Video games were one of my greatest escapes. They calmed me down. They eased my mind. Now, at some point during all this chaos, I remember trying to build a relationship with Dad. I actually tried to talk to him and asked to go places with him, even though he worked most of the time. Most days he'd leave home around 4.30 a.m. for his coal mining job. Then get home around 8 p.m. He was a blaster who worked with dynamite. Dad's days were very long. Sundays were his time to hole up in the snake room, and there, he would pray before every church service. The best way to describe what he did in the snake room is this verse right here. Isaiah 58, verse 5 through 6. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? What he would do, Dad would lock the snake room door. Then he'd put his Bible cassettes on the jam box. Chapter 58. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice. If he was in the snake room praying, you could bang on the door as hard as you could. But he probably wouldn't get off his knees. This is just something we were taught. Some people seem to get a hold of God by fasting, by not taking food or water. But other folks, like Dad would, got a hold of God by deep, meditative prayer. Just like it said in Isaiah, he'd take a burlap sackcloth and go where somebody had burned a fire. Then, he'd take some ashes off the ground, not discarding any of the rubble. Whatever was in the ashes, maybe it was burned nails or rusty staples or whatever... He'd throw all that in the burlap sack. Then, he'd jostle it all around. He'd kneel on top of that sack and pray with his head bowed down for hours. You'd know he'd done it, because whenever he emerged from the snake room to get ready for church, ashes would be caked on his knees and sometimes even his forehead. He said he got closer to God by praying this way. He would dedicate 10% of all his weekly hours to this discipline. Although we did believe in money ties, in giving 10% of your income to God, just as importantly, he said you have to give 10% of your time to God as well. Being the pastor's son, I clearly remember Saturday nights. That's when we'd stay late after church because of conflicts he'd need to sort through. Sometimes, people from the congregation would be in need, and Dad would have to stay late to address them. The sort of sins he was forced to deal with would shock you being pastor, whenever issues arise, it's just what a church leader has to do. You have to sit people down, then give them a good talking to. Sometimes you even have to kick them out of the congregation altogether, if it's necessary. When I was younger, he'd tell my sister and me to stay in the vehicle so he could minister to the flock in private. I had a general idea what was going on inside the building. Of course, he really didn't like being obligated to do it, Working in the coal mines every Saturday, and then preaching every Saturday night, was a kick in the pants. He'd have to stay late with a little recorder trying to sort out people's problems after church. Their problems were often so unnecessary. Most times it was just people causing issues and nothing more than that. Like I said, he recorded these sessions. It was simply insurance for those few times that congregants mischaracterized the advice he had given them. With recordings, if they ever misquoted Dad, he could say, I didn't say that, and play the recorded proof as evidence. Dad let them know that they were being recorded, too, which was a very smart move. Here's what I learned watching Dad shepherd his congregation. Those with no fear of God sin constantly. They'd go on like the sin had never even happened. I know what I'm talking about, because I've done it myself. I was a sinner in that way. One thing I think is worth mentioning is that Dad was very good at being pastor. He didn't want to be a pastor, not from the get-go. I remember many a time, moments where he would have loved to have quit, but I also know that he feared going to hell. Dad was taught that it was a cardinal sin to turn your back on the flock and your ministry. That said, I never remember a moment when I heard him say, I just love being a pastor. Was he good at his job? Yes. Was he full of love? Absolutely. But he did not like being pastor at all.